0: Welcome to an all new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom and we're talking with Jason from Fidgetland. Now, uh, this was season nine, episode three, which is October 8th of 2017. Uh, Jason comes in asking $50,000 for 10% of his company and Fidgetland had a small fidget device that was used for ADD or stress. So you've seen obviously these different things that people hold and twist and play with. And this was another take on that. Um, Jason had created eight different models. And the idea was obviously you'd be able to play with it anywhere. He built the prototype himself, which is a really cool story. And uh, in 2007, built his first fidget. Um, 50,000 units of sales, $500,000 Uh, total, um, expecting 500,000 this year, which was of course 2017. So the company's on the grow, 85% of it's online. Um, The website, Amazon, uh, charging anywhere from $8 to $15 for the item and uh, was making them between $1.35 to $2.69. So clearly really good uh, margins. I thought this was great. and I think he mentioned in the interview, not on the show, but I started off selling them on eBay um, and they were ones he made himself. And I love that. I love the gritty bootstrapping. I made something and I started selling it on eBay and people bought it and I guess I had a business and just just love these stories. the deal ended up being with Barb. It was 50,000 for 20%. So gave up a little bit more equity, but certainly uh, she connected with the product and seemed like a great partner. So let's get to the interview. Uh, you'll enjoy it. It was great. And then we'll talk afterwards about some of the things we learned. All right. We're here with Jason of Fidget Land. Jason, thank you for making the time and uh, fitting in a conversation with uh, Joe and I, we really appreciate it. I always like to start off with the long version because we get the short version on TV, but I want the full story of where the idea came from, the, the origin of the product, and really how you got this thing to become a, a tangible thing. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having
1: me. I appreciate it. Uh, great to meet you guys as well. So basically I have ADD and ADHD. Uh, I guess I'm old, so I still call it ADD. But uh, so my background's in entertainment. And so uh, I worked in entertainment up until I started doing uh, Fidgetland full time. And so I was in meetings all day long and my leg was constantly bouncing. And so I needed something to kind of calm that nerve. And I looked for all types of fidgets and everything I found uh, was really made for kids. So it was like big and plushy or loud and distracting. So, uh, I bought another, uh, like a, a, another fidget that was made of bike chain parts. And I took that apart and made it into, uh, like, I guess it would be our first you know fidget that we started selling. And then I was using that for a while and, uh, I dropped it in a meeting and the guy next to me picked it up and started playing with me. He's like, this thing's great. He's like, you should sell these. And I was like, all right well you know it was so not my focus at all and uh i threw them up on ebay and i sold i think i, I was selling them in groups of three and i sold like i think i had like i don't know five orders in the first week it just as a fidget and uh they were just with bike chain and key rings and uh i kind of blew me away and that was in like oh i guess it was oh five or six and then uh I just, it kind of progressed and I started selling more and more and more. And then, uh, I started, uh, kind of evolving the product and coming up with different types of fidgets and different things, um, using the bike chain parts and other parts, uh, that were kind of like household items and, uh, you know, kind of trying to perfect it and it just kept selling more and more. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, 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 I guess, uh, origin of the, just came out of need for myself and then realized that other people would benefit from it.
0: So by the time you got to shark tank, it was becoming a real business. Were you doing it full time at this point? No, not at all. It was totally a side
1: business. I had my kids and housekeeper and myself were making them like on weekends and late at night. And, uh, but I did, I think the most I did, uh, the year before I got on Shark Tank, I did 265,000 in sales, which was pretty awesome for something that like, I never thought of as a business. It was pretty great. And, uh, and that was a part to the, um, I don't know how, you know, what your fidget knowledge is, but, um, so in August of 2016, uh, the guys that came up with the fidget cube did a Kickstarter. And so that kind of started a little bit of a fidget craze. And because I'd been selling my stuff online for so long that uh so they did the fidget cube and they they raised like six or seven million on their kickstarter but they weren't available for you know months so people were googling you know fidget fidget whatever and so i did that fourth quarter i did like i think about 100 grand in q4 of 2016 mainly off of the you know heels of their uh kickstarter and then at the beginning end of q1 2017 the uh Spinners came out. And so, which at first was like about a week of it was great because it kind of brought awareness. And then it was awful, like horribly awful. It's just like, because uh, they're, they, I mean, I, I don't have anything against spinners, but it's just, it's a different product. And it's, uh, you know, teachers hated them and parents didn't like them and they're distracting. And, you know, here I have this product that's also a fidget. So people are like, oh, that's a spinner. It's a fidget. It's a spinner. You know, like, it's the same thing. So there's a lot of, kind of confusion and they were marketed the same way as, you know, uh, you know, increased focus, um, reduce stress. And so ours were to market, you know, they were just kind of playing off the same marketing that we were doing and, but they blew up. I mean, it was like the top 20, uh, things on Amazon for like months and, and then it just died. And so, you know, we got, uh, you know, our sales went from, I mean, it just, it crushed us. So, uh, Yeah. And then I got on Shark Tank and uh, I shot in June at 17 and my episode aired in October. So I was worried that if I didn't air early, because there was like kind of this, it was such a fad, the spinners were, that they were going to think of it as too trendy and fad-like and you know, my episode wouldn't air. So, but I got lucky and it aired the second week, third episode, but second week, because they did a double on the first episode or first week.
0: And and as we're, as we're recording this, I'm, Trembling my left leg, and I'm picking yeah. my out of my teeth because I just ate a salad. So, yeah. by the way I, I have it up on my screen right before we jumped on to do this. Uh, it's in my Amazon cart to buy uh, oh, your okay. product,
1: and, and it's oh,
0: tough to find, it's tough to find your product in with uh, all the ripoffs. Which is tell me about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Not to okay, good. Me, I, up, yeah, I would like I would like to talk about it because it's definitely been a yeah, definitely. So let's. How did you end up getting on Shark Tank?
1: So my wife actually filled out an application for me in end of 2016, and then I got a call from casting, like in uh, mid February, I guess. I just got a random call on my cell phone, and answered it, and I had had a um, not really important forget. i will move on. Yeah, so I just got a call uh, from them, talked to them. They asked me to make a video. I did the video, and then the rest is probably you know pretty similar to everybody else's you know uh, experience.
0: So air date of 10, 8, 17. You air, you get a deal. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the first 48 hours uh after you <laughs> what changed.
1: Uh it's crazy. We went from so it was myself and uh I really kept the whole secrecy thing very uh I you know I really I uh bought into that and didn't tell my employees, uh my family knew, and that was it. And then like uh I had an attorney and uh, I have a relative or my wife's relative, who's a um, he does. He's a VC, so I like. But that's it. And her brother uh, does mergers and acquisitions. So like that was it. Like other than that, I didn't tell anybody. And so I was asking, you know, my employees to like make product for the show and you know trying to ramp up and so they're like you know why we thinking of summer's usually like our slowest period yeah. and so you know I had them making like every you know I was buying all this inventory like in the hopes I didn't know when or if our episode would ever air but I was hopeful and so uh you know I just kept buying and they were I think they thought I was insane and so yeah. I never said I, I never said a word to them about anything and, you know we had all this inventory you know stockpiled and so yeah they it must was,
2: uh, have the thoughts that must have been going through their head we've lost jason jason's gone over the edge
1: 100 i told them that at one point i told them that there was a tv show that wanted to use our because i was also setting up the uh, the set and so uh in this on my set i have like a big board that had a bunch of fidgets on it and then i had uh like these um glass uh big glass bowls that had you know that were full of fidgets and so I had the guys making fidgets for that, and they're like, "What are these for?" It's like, "Oh, it's a you know, it's a project. It's a TV show wants it for it's a uh, it's a school. It's a show about a school, and they need it for like the set design." Now that was, that was like, "Oh, okay, fine." Now they're finally. But uh, so it was myself, and then I had two guys that were assemblers, and then so that was on uh, October, you know, seventh, eighth, and then October 9th was a holiday. But uh, by that Wednesday, I had like fifteen people and then by the end of the week we had 26 full-time uh people working here uh 24 hours a day seven days a week we had three eight hour shifts and uh my two guys that were here originally became you know kind of like shift managers and one took the night shift and but we had guys working around the clock just to get stuff done and get orders filled. So we make everything by hand. And so uh which was you know part of the reason I went on the show, but that was you know to try to you know streamline that in a better way. So that was a challenge for sure. But uh, we ran through our inventory pretty quick. So by, I think we were out of everything by within like about a week and a half or two weeks. We were, you know, all the everything we had built in the summer was gone. So we were making, What are you doing? I had, tw- I had 26 guys sitting here, guys and girls making, you know, making fidgets by hand. So, and just, uh, Barbara's thing was, which I think was definitely helpful was, you know, just people don't care about waiting as long as they know that they're waiting. So if you tell them it's going to be there in three days and it's there in three months, that's a problem. But if you tell them it's going to be there in three months and it's there in three months, you know, that's better than uh, the other. So we were upfront on the site, you know, as far as, you know, how long the delays would be, but I really didn't know. I had no idea how long it was going to take for us to make, you know, because the guys that I had with me had been with me for years and knew how to make the product. And it's uh, surprisingly has very little margin for error because if it's not welded right and the ring's not closed right, it doesn't, you know, the fluidity is not right. It's just a whole, it's a little product, but unfortunately it's more complicated to make than it should be. So, but it was fun. I mean, it was, uh, I just have this kind of make it happen mentality. And so I think, it, you know, uh, just try to make it as, as fun of an environment as I possibly could. And, uh, yeah, it was a trip. It's a good time though.
0: So. When exactly did you go full-time and what made that, uh, seem like it was the right move?
1: Uh, October October 9th, <laughs> I went full time. So
0: you were that <laughs> yeah. was that's what triggered it for you to go full time.
1: Okay? Yeah, exactly. I was uh, I'd started a production company with uh, Joel McHale, who I'd grown up with, and so like I guess my background was in entertainment. So I started on the representation side as an agent and a manager. And uh, Joel and I and a couple other guys grew up together and well, a lot of other people, but <laughs> grew up together in uh, Seattle and did a TV show called Three Period when we were in high school. So. Uh, Joel and I had started a production company here called Free Period. You know, kind of playing off that same name after uh, after I stopped. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the representation side of the business. I did it for a little over ten years, and then got into the production and development. And so uh, I like a lot more, definitely more. But uh, so I, I talked to Michael and I was just like, "Hey, I got this. You know, my episode's airing." And he's like, well, you know, let me know what happens and whatever." And I was like, "I think I think it's you know, if things are going the way that I think they're going to go." He's like, run with it. And so uh, I did, you know, we still produced a couple of projects um, since then, but, you know, my focus is definitely on Vigiland.
0: So catch us up to speed because this is, you know, five years ago. What happens? how, What happens in 2018, 2019? You know, how, how does the trajectory of the business uh, go now that you've been on Shark Tank and you're uh, full time in this thing?
1: Yeah, it's, been, you know, it's uh, reality sets back in and you're, you know, I think it's, uh, I mean, Shark Tank is a, it's a beast. And I did a update that aired in, uh, February of 2018. So, which was, you know, great. And, uh, that was a ton of fun. I went to New York and shot, uh, with Barbara's, uh, daughter's school and talked to them. And, um, I did a ton of, you know, in 2018, 2019, I did a, you know, I spoke to, you know, I can't even count how many different classrooms, you know, I either, uh, FaceTimed into or went and spoke to, and you know just about the benefits of fidgeting, and so just kind of really tried to spread the word. And uh, but the sales, you know, it's you know it peaks and then it comes back down, and then you just kind of try to come up with ways to create, uh, you know, excitement and uh, I guess sort of awareness around the product, you know, outside of fidgeting. We did a couple of trade shows, which was great, and you know having the Shark Tank name behind you. I remember the first trade show we did in Vegas, the booth next to us, the guy was like you realize that when people come for their first time, it's not like this. And I was like, I had no, I mean, I had a screen, you know, I had a, I had a huge, like a 40 inch TV, you know, playing my episode and, uh, it was great. And so, uh, but our product isn't great for wholesale. Just, uh, the margins aren't great, but, um, so yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a, uh, it's been a learning experience, an up and down, uh, learning experience for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm happy that I did it without a, you know, without a doubt.
0: What's, uh, how do you create awareness for the product? What works well from a marketing standpoint for you?
1: Well, word of is the best just because it's, um, but you know, you have to, you have to start somewhere. So word of mouth, definitely. And then just, you know, so the more people I can speak with definitely seems to resonate more. Otherwise the spinner thing, like I said, really hurt before it was easier before after, after spinners, it's, people see the word fidget and think that it's a spinner. And so when they think it's a spinner. They think it's a toy. And so they, you know, it takes out, you know, our stuff's really designed. We did some research where, you know, we did uh, some market research, which I didn't realize, you know, you don't, you, I think you try to know your customer as well as you really can. But uh, a lot of it depends on what questions you're asking and, you know, how, uh, how detailed you get? And so we did some uh, focus testing with some of our customers and I was really surprised at the time how many of them are adults because I don't. I thought you know a huge. I thought a lot of our business was really kids and it was parents buying for kids, but uh, it's like I want to. I think at the time I have to go back and look, but I mean it was like over fifty percent were adults, you know, buying for themselves and primarily women, which was not at all what I was targeting towards and or that we thought that it was. So we started doing some jewelry, and you know, kind of tried to evolve into um, other you know non-distracting, you know, functioning. Uh, you know fidgets that work you know for you know so for us jewelry is huge and it's been really good been a great expansion of the brand so uh, both for men and women.
2: Could you can you share a little bit about um, the market right now and the quality of product out there where fidget land uh, is and how you differentiate the quality of your product from from others? Sure so uh, in
1: I guess it was end of April. I was in the middle of the Shark Tank uh, auditioning process and I was uh, going through my emails and I got an email from someone through Alibaba that said, you know, we see that you sell fidgets, you should buy ours. And it was our designs, all of them. And so, um, and this is about, you know, two months before I went on Shark Tank and I was just like, you know, uh, I knew it was coming because it's a non-proprietary product. But uh, to have it be that quick and before Shark Tank, I was, uh, you know, it was a little disheartening. But it is what it is. So, and the stuff that's coming out of China. So then, when I went on Shark Tank, and uh, you know, Mark had asked, you know, if there's copies out there, and which at the time there were, and now there's more. uh, All the stuff that's out there is is made in China with um, lesser quality parts, and um, and the main difference really is that. Our stuff's all made by hand here and made with, uh, we use solid welded rings instead of key rings. So it just provides a different, uh, experience and different, uh, tactile, uh, you know, it just, it feels totally different. It's way smoother. It's heavier. Uh, the product's better. Um, you know, what you, you get, what, uh, you get what the picture looks like, whereas a lot of the stuff that's on. Amazon, uh, I mean, that's our biggest issue, I would say is probably Amazon. Uh, you know, there was a while that, you know, it would have, uh, it, it would say like Amazon's choice for fidget land and it was another company's product. It was like a knockoff from China. And so, uh, which was just awful. And so um, that was a challenge for a while. So the stuff, and that's, that hasn't lessened, um, but our stuff, you know, the price point's definitely higher. Um, it's all made by hand in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we take great pride in our product and, you know, the craftsmanship and, you know, everything has a lifetime warranty on it. And, you know, it's surprising how little we get back in returns and, uh, you know, have a great customer retention rate. People that use our products love them and use them, you know, their their daily carry, you know, it's an everyday carry for them. So, uh, which is a whole EDC category, which I didn't even know existed, but (laughs) so uh, stands for everyday carry but uh, yeah i mean that's people that use our products they take you know their keys their wallet their phone and their fidget
2: so it becomes yeah. i mean uh, that, it becomes a uh, staple item in their purse or their pocket for sure i imagine 100% yeah
1: so and that's really our that's our uh, kind of our our prime customers really you know trying to that's who we're going after and you know catering to for sure
2: And has distribution changed much at all at time of uh, filming your 85% online between your home site and Amazon? Has anything changed in terms of distribution over the... Amazon. Yeah,
1: Amazon, for sure. Like we went from, uh, at that time, we were way less than 50%. I don't even, I don't, I mean, it was, we were probably 70, 30, our site to Amazon, and now it's 60, 40, Amazon to our site. And we don't do prime we're just in the process now of switching stuff over. Uh, We've done everything fulfilled by merchant. And so to be able to have the numbers that we've been able to do with us, not doing prime has been great, but uh, we just didn't have the resources to, to have inventory sitting there in prime versus, uh, you know, having it here because we we pretty much make everything to order. So, uh, but we've kind of been trying to stockpile and um, send stuff off to prime. So by the, we're about six weeks out from having everything stocked in Prime on Amazon. So, and now it's it's more beneficial for us to do that. In the past, the pricing wasn't the same, but uh, we ran the numbers, and now it'll you know it'll cost us less to do it that way than for us to fulfill it ourselves yeah. and charge for shipping. So, and it'll be Prime. So, I mean, we'll sell. I mean, I'm you know we've done it in the past, and I mean the numbers are you know it's definitely you know more than fifty percent increased sales in Prime versus uh, fulfilled by merchant.
0: Brussels. I think that a lot of people just won't buy anything
1: that's not Prime. Have you ever?
0: I never have. No, I, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> no,
1: no, exactly. I mean, it, it just, it always amazes me that, you know, we've done the numbers that we've done with Fulfilled by Merchant. And, you know, we have a rep at, uh, at Amazon, you know, that we deal with. And, you know, they've always tried to get us to, you know, to switch to Prime or FBA. And um, we just, I don't know. I think I was just stubborn for whatever reason and didn't do it. and um, but just recently we were looking at the numbers and was like, this is ridiculous. I don't know why we're not doing it. So I think a lot of it, um, you know, our numbers are so much greater on the site. And then it's been interesting as like the reruns, that's kind of been the biggest telltale sign is like whenever the reruns air, uh, we get a great bump, but the, it's been interesting to see how much, especially I'd say right around COVID is when it really switched Uh, before COVID, it was still like 60, 40 our site to Amazon. And now it's the other way. And that was, I'd say through COVID, it definitely Amazon just, uh, for us, it just it kind of you know changed dramatically. So, yeah, pretty much
0: How nice. many skews do
1: guys have? Right now, we're when I wanted to, when the show, we had like eighty seven or something like that. Um, we've kind of backed down. Uh, now we're like a little under thirty, so it's better. So, yeah. so,
0: for those listening, you know, five years ago you had way more SKUs. Now you're more successful fewer SKUs. So less. Yes. Is
1: more. yes, for sure. Yes. Yeah. At least for us. I mean, it just, I think my thought initially was what's the difference if we're making it, you know, if, if we're making everything to order, you know, if someone wants red or they want blue, but it's really more complicated than that. So, uh, and it's not, yeah. So you know, we just have way
2: too many. I'm curious about what you are learning about the market, anything you could share through any type of research that you could do about where the market's shifting, is it growing? Is it shrinking? Is there a demand for uh, allied products or uh, other products that could help the cause in in, in this market? What, what have you learned about the market long-term?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's interesting just going back to when I first started, like I said, I made these for myself because I have ADHD and I didn't realize how big of a market is how big of a market it is and how many people can use a product like this for things that I never knew it would be beneficial for. And so, you know, nail biting, uh, you know, people with uh, Tourette's. I mean, to me, I didn't, I never would have thought a fidget would help someone with Tourette's autism. Uh, you know, there's, those are things I never would have thought. And then, you know, ton of people that have quit smoking people, you know, hair, you know, uh, hair pickers, um, skin pickers, like I said, nail biters, uh, you know, there's so many different um, repetitive behaviors that people have that uh, it's been beneficial for. And, you know, stress, anxiety are huge. And there's been a lot, you know, I think that category has definitely gotten bigger. And there's a lot more products out there for people that are, you know, coping with stress and anxiety. So in that sense, it's definitely gotten bigger. And I think there's, as much as there's more awareness around it, uh, you know, we're still kind of trying to get over that, the spinner stigma, but I think the you know the idea of products that help uh, people with stress, anxiety, and you know can kind of um, you know be a coping mechanism. I think it's definitely, if anything, it's grown for sure. So,
2: of course, yeah. with with what we've been through uh, over the last couple of years, people are isolated, they're alone, uh, they're stressed, they're worried. Uh, so I, I you know I could see that uh, aspect of the market just you know mental health. You know, diversion, being alone, uh, that kind of stuff. But yeah, just just wondered if there were any other products that um, that were allied to your core product that were either in development or you're thinking about that would be added to the Fidgetland line.
1: We try to add. You know, we've been adding products uh, pretty consistently, but you know, it's we haven't. We've only taken one. We've only taken one product away. It's not answering your question, but I'll just take it real quick. After the episode aired, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, my whole family was down here. And so my parents were here and sisters and um, uh, they were helping us, you know, pick and pack orders. And so my dad was looking for something to do. And all the fidgets are named after family members. And so the at the time, uh, there was a, uh, and most of them are kind of nicknames within, you know, within the family. And so we had a fidget called a Tootie, which is my dad, T-U-T-T-I-E. And so it, the center material was clay. It was like a, um, most of our, the main difference in all of our products is either the size the size, and then whatever the center material is. So whether it's uh, like we have some that have like a custom-made silicone band. So it rolls back and forth like a treadmill for your fingers. We have uh, aluminum rollers. We have uh, silicone. We have, uh, you know, they all have some type of movement in the center. So the tootie was just solid clay. And so it was kind of a hard center, but smooth. And so those you had to, you had to shape the clay into the centerpiece, and then we had to bake it for the it to. You, know, <laughs> you had to bake it and then smooth it out afterwards. So my dad was looking for something to do. I was like, "Oh, why don't you make some tooties?" So I gave him some centerpieces and clay. He came back in about a half hour later. He's like, "This is ridiculous." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "You got to stop making these things." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Way too. T-. He's like, way too labor intensive. This is absolutely absurd. I don't care. I don't. He's like, I know it's named after me. You got to stop. You got to <laughs> promise me you'll stop making." it. I was like, "All right, fine." So we haven't made them. We stopped making them since. But isn't uh, isn't that funny that the namesake of the
2: product killed his own product?
1: He did. He's like, "I know it's named after me. I love it, but you please, like, it's because I cannot." He's like, "The thought of me to to know that you're paying somebody to do this." He's like, "It's just, it's such a." He's like, "It's way too labor intensive. You got to stop doing it." And so, I think a lot of that uh, for me was a little bit of a because I didn't start this as a business you know, I started it as a hobby and started it for myself. I never wrote a business plan. I never thought, oh, this takes this amount of time to make it, or this is how much the product costs to make. I never went through any of those steps that you normally would do. And so it's not surprising that, you know, something like making that, you know, for me, I was just making it because I liked it and I never thought of it as a business. (laughs) and So it didn't really affect me and that thought never really came up. Uh, So I mean, I I went to I majored in business and I majored in entrepreneurship, but I didn't. uh, I I still never really was. I never really looked at it that way. So in this business, in
2: in this business, you were an accidental entrepreneur.
1: Hundred percent, yes. Which is funny. I mean, I had so many other businesses that like I thought about and never pulled the trigger on. And uh, it's funny that this one that I didn't start as a business, I just started. You know, just out of a necessity for myself, became the business that. You know, made me an entrepreneur officially, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, as a kid, I always had like, you know, different things that I was doing. And I, you know, I always worked, you know, came up with different, you know, I made all sorts of different inventions and, you know, I loved, loved to create things. So, uh, yeah. What
0: was the hardest part about transitioning to becoming an entrepreneur for you? Uh, I, For me,
1: pretty simple the structure, just having, uh, before, you know, I'd always worked. Even when I ran, you know, I ran a couple of different, I ran two different production companies and always had people, uh, that I managed, you know, within those, uh, organizations. So I made my schedule to a point that I had, there was just more structure to my day and to what my, uh, what, like kind of my, my duties were, my responsibilities were. When I started Fidgetland, it was just kind of a free for all and I had no sense of anything in you know, I was here till two in the morning. And because there was people here 24 hours a day, literally, you know, I could be, you know, I would leave my offices a couple miles from the house, from, the, uh, from our house. And so, you know, I could go home and come back, uh, you know, midnight or two in the morning, or, you know, they would call and say, Hey, some, you know, whatever, there's a problem with whatever, and I'd come and, uh, yeah, I think that's the scheduling. And I think just kind of creating a structure. My wife's, Super organized, which is very helpful. She's a professional organizer, so that's really helped. But uh, yeah, and she specializes in people with ADHD, so that's so that's been great. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that you know, for me, that was I, the structure. I would say is definitely probably the hardest to kind of um, you know having so much autonomy and yeah, that was, that was definitely challenging.
0: Still what you, is. What do you miss most about the entertainment business? collaboration just i think with uh it's
1: it's lonely being an entrepreneur it's uh you know you it's different it's it's a lot different than um, yeah it's lonely it's you know it's it's yeah you, know, you can bounce ideas off of people but unless they're unless they have the same vested interest financially emotionally and everything else it's not the same and so uh you can talk to somebody till you're blue in the face but at the end of the day you know it it's not the same. So I think that's, you know, my next venture, I'll definitely have a partner that has, you know, uh, an equal or, you know, partners that have equal, uh, you know, ownership and equal vested interest. Cause I think that's, for me, I, I thrive off the collaboration. So that's been, that's definitely been a challenge.
2: Well, Jason, yeah. I got to tell you, uh, Tom and I are partners and we're together every day in this office and we're still both really lonely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Well, the reason reason Joe's lonely is because I locked my door so he can't come in here. (laughs) (laughs) Got to stare Uh, at him on Zoom all day. Uh, (laughs) biggest Biggest lesson you've learned in this process of of you know scaling this business?
1: I think for me, it's uh, try to get out of my own way. I think sometimes it's really easy to to. I think it's really easy. I I had an idea of like this product. I think. It's I'm unique, I guess, in a sense, or maybe it's not you guys tell me, you know, uh, from other entrepreneurs, because it was sort of an accident or, you know, not intention, you know, it wasn't intended. What the product became and what it is now, I have such like, uh, you know, deep affection and pride for that. uh, There's definitely business decisions that I made that would have been financially way more beneficial, for example, not to get too into the minutiae. So like I said, the main difference between our stuff and the, the copies on Amazon is that they use keyrings. We started using keyrings like initially because that was how I made mean, it. I didn't know how else to put hold them together was with you know keyrings, and then uh, that's what they knocked off in uh, China. So, but there's guys on Amazon that are selling. You know, you can tell by how many reviews they have. You know, they're they're way outselling selling us, and so at a much cheaper price. And so, could I do that? Sure. And I own other. You know, I own FidgetToy.com, and I own a ton of other fidget main you know fidget urls because i bought them back in you know 2006 so uh i think if i wasn't so sort of stuck pride wise on like this is the product we sell this is the product i make you know i would only sell this product you know as a businessman you know it would have been a way better uh i could have definitely utilized those urls for you know a lesser product that people would still i mean look i sold tens of thousands of ones on key rings that people love. So it was only not, it wasn't until I started making them with the solid rings. People like, oh, this is way better, but you only know what you know. So if someone sells you one with the key ring, okay, great. So, uh, I think that for me is, you know, I think I got my, I've definitely kind of got my own way with that, you know, and wasn't the best business decision. I think, you know, um, but you know, you, you learn and, you know, I learned constantly that there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things that, uh happen that you know you just you have to sort of figure out if it's you know worth your time to obsess over or try to fix it or rectify it or you just move on so
0: it's it's an interesting thought i've never never thought of it before but you know it's at least worth considering do i knock myself off early on and i don't know if that's maybe in, in your world that's common that people discuss that but you know, it's a thought of, hey, let me put something else out there. Maybe I discourage knockoffs by there already being a knockoff, but I happen to be the knockoff.
1: Yeah. I think I was so, you know, on our site, I was so against them. And I think, you know, and all the like social media stuff I did and, you know, I spoke out against all the knockoffs so heavily and, you know, split ring versus solid ring and stuff that's so like, uh, you know, in the weeds that uh, I think that's in in that sense, you know, it would have definitely been beneficial to you know, I would have, there's no doubt I would have made a ton of, you know, a lot of money doing it. So, but I just felt like it wasn't, it was so off brand, but the reality is it's a fidget. And if it's beneficial to someone, why does it make a difference? So
0: yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. I think sometimes we all have our own feelings on things of, I want to be premium. I want to be the best. And if I was to play devil's advocate to you, I would just say, well, maybe by creating something that's a you know, half or a third of the price you're giving access to someone that otherwise couldn't afford one. It's just interesting exactly. how
1: we look at. Right. This, you know? No, so, absolutely. Totally correct.
0: Yeah. yeah but I would, but I probably would have done the exact same thing you did and said, no, we're a premium product and we're going to create the best thing we can to help people. What does your team look like now? What, 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 how do you spend your days and what people around you are helping with other things?
1: So uh, focus mainly on, you know, i the, it used to be the majority was spent on <laughs> getting a product made, unfortunately. And so uh, I've shifted away from that. So I've got you know, people that are making it. So now it's just a matter of uh, you know, marketing and it's become pretty automated. And you know the pick and pack and you know, fulfillment. And so, like I said, now we're just kind of ramping up and instead of making them to order, we're taking our top SKUs from Amazon and um, sending those off and doing them FBA. And so, uh, and then I started shifting to um, I started actually advising Shark Tank contestants as they're going through the Shark Tank process. So, uh, which has been pretty fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, my background's in entertainment and television, and so you know, I'm producing reality TV. So for me, it was like, I think that was the leg up I had being on, you know, get getting on the show. Uh, you know, and I went through, you know like I said, my wife submitted a, you know, an application. I sent in a video. I didn't call anybody at Sony and say, Hey, I'm applying or Hey, I'm doing this. It was really, you know, totally organic and authentic. And, but I knew what the producers wanted to see. I knew, I knew what type of story I had to tell. I knew what kind of character I had to be. I knew all of that. And so that's the companies that I've helped. You know, I think that's where I really add a lot of value is that, you know, to both be a Shark Tank veteran, you know, and be on the show as well as, you know, I've, you know, 20 plus year career in the entertainment industry, you know, making television and producing and casting TV shows, reality TV shows. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of other people with that pedigree in a sense. So it's, you know, it's been beneficial.
0: So is it safe to assume that people don't understand or neglect to put enough emphasis on the character they need to play and the story they need to tell as they're trying to get on and even when they're on the show? hundred percent. I mean, it's a TV show.
1: And I think it's as much as I had to keep reminding myself of that, it's, you know, as you're going through the application process and it's, they really don't care. The producers don't care about your company. They care about your story. And so they, there needs to be a company there for you, for the sharks to discuss, but they never, they don't care about my numbers. They don't, you know, it's, I think to them, it was interesting that, you know, I sold $265,000 worth of, you know, product that i made in my you know well we had an office but you know bike chain and gearings so and rubber you know silicone bands so i think that was interesting to them and my store but the product isn't as interesting as the, you know they're looking at stories and so it's you've got to build a compelling story so if you're going on there as an entrepreneur and i think that's you know what i've told the people that i worked with and whenever people ask me you know how do you get on shark tank it's you've got to have a story and if you watch the show you can see i mean it's and even, even the people, even the invest, the sharks invest in, they're investing in the shark, in the entrepreneur a lot of times way more than they are the company. And so it's just a matter of, uh, I think the the most challenging part of being on the show, which uh, I've listened to a you know, pretty good amount of you guys' podcasts. I don't think I've heard a lot of people talk about it. For me, the most challenging part was uh, when you're standing there, the barrage of questions that get thrown at you and you don't see that on TV, which is pretty miraculous that, you know, from an editing standpoint, that they can cut, you know, their mics off. But you've got, they're all talking to you at once. And so you have to pick whose question you're answering. And I remember at one point I said, you know, which question do you want me to answer first? And so I just tried to have fun with it. But I think that's the, it can be really challenging because you can get stuck in a conversation with Mark about a topic, you know, about, you know, what your price point is or what your costs is and, or your delivery or, you know, how you're making it or whatever, you know, what your marketing cost is and you could th- that could take over and you, that might eat up you telling your story. And it's really important that, you know, what I really try to do is every answer I gave, I just continue to try to tell my story with each answer and uh, go back to that. Like, I mean, I had it worked out, you know, flat, I mean, I was just, you know, kind of going through that repetitively. So, but we do mock tanks. I do mock tanks with the companies I work with. It's great. So you have to, I mean, it's just, it's, it's like no other, there's nothing else like it. And so uh, for me, I mean, I'd been on, I'd been on that stage before I, you know, we had a deal with Sony. Uh, one of the production companies I had had a deal with Sony before. So, I mean, I was familiar with a lot. I mean, it, for me, that part was, uh, I was very comfortable there. I had no desire to be on camera ever. So, uh, but I just figured that, you know, the only way that this is, the only way this company will ever survive is if I can get on Shark Tank and be you know, the fidget man from Fidgetland. Otherwise, you know, I could tell based on what was happening on Amazon that it, it was just, the market was getting totally saturated with other, you know, with knockoffs and other products.
0: So well, I think that's an interesting lesson too, is to really know your audience. And so, you know, you pitching on Shark Tank, you need to tell your story. You need to focus on certain things. That's a different arena than if you're pitching to a customer or if you're pitching to a traditional venture capital firm. It's different. Hundred percent. And I and I you know I think that sometimes that's lost and people kind of have their canned way. Hey, uh, let me tell you about my product. And it doesn't matter if you're a buyer or an investor or a Shark Tank or a, a, a distribution partner. And it's like, hold on, pump the brakes here. Really understand your audience. Put yourself in their mindset. What are they looking to hear? What are they looking to learn from you? And that's a that's a great skill that you're teaching, and it it'll apply in other arenas, not just as they you know pitch the sharks.
1: Yeah. No, definitely.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I think you've got to
1: have. You got to have a story. So it's just too, you know, it's way too competitive. You know, it's so hard to get on the show to begin with. So, uh, but you really have to look at it as you're going on a TV show, not, you know, obviously the business is important, but that's not the, you know, your story is way more important.
0: What's, what's your vision for the company? Are you going to do this forever? Is there a exit plan in place? Is there certain things you want to achieve? Do you have more things you want to accomplish? What do you think the next few years looks like for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm starting to step away in a sense, just because it's become more, you know, it's, it's leveled off and it's, I kind of feel like we're, uh, you know, the companies, I think will continue, it'll continue to go and do what it's doing. And, uh, that's why, you know, I started taking on, um, you know, different companies that I've been advising, you know, that are getting on the show. Uh, so for me, that's, you know, that's, I wouldn't say that's my focus, but that's definitely you know, it's that's taken up a lot of my time um, and I love it so and uh, you know I'm just you know listen to other opportunities that are out there but you know definitely in the entrepreneurial space I love it's like I said i I love I love doing this it's funny i I never you know I've made over two hundred up you know two hundred you know, uh, episodes of television that I've produced and a couple of feature films and the you know, you work so hard on those things and then, you know, they come out and, you know, they live forever, which is great. But the response that you get is like, oh, that was cool. You know, the response I get from making, you know, from people that use our products, the fidgets, it's like, I mean, the testimonials are like, that's why I did it. And that's why I left, you know, entertainment to do this was, and to focus on it was that, you know, it's, it's, it provides people with something that they never had before and they rely on it on a daily basis. And to have, it sounds like so over uh, dramatic to say like it's changed their life, but I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten that people say it changed my life. And that's awesome. I mean, that's just, to, I never, I, I never in a million years would have thought that would be the outcome of this product. So it'll, it'll always live on the company. will live on will always make products. You know, I think I like creating you know new ones, probably do more jewelry. Uh, I think that that's um, I think if anything, our products will, we'll continue to kind of go after the, I don't want to say a higher end product, but, um, it just, it makes more sense for us to do kind of stay with that, like a true fidgeter versus, um, you know, a kid that holds it for, you know, a couple minutes and loses it. And, uh, yeah, so, but you know, it's, um, look, if I can help a kid, I, I mean, there's so many kids that, you know, need them. It's just a matter of but that's a, It's a different market. And so, um, different than an executive, you know, that's using it in an office or, you know, someone that's on a trip traveling or, uh, you know, using it for stress and anxiety or in a therapist's office. So,
0: yeah. And where is the best place for someone to buy the product? Uh, fidgetland.com, uh, Amazon, but, uh, either one, you know, uh,
1: we sell on Etsy also. Yeah. All the above. And then, uh, so yeah. And then btsconsulting.tv is the
0: yeah, and that was my next question because you know we we get a lot of feedback from people that listen to this that either are applying or have already been accepted but haven't gone on yet. So say that one more time, just if anyone. Sure. Uh, Guide. Yeah, it's yeah, it's btsconsulting.tv,
1: btsconsulting.tv.
0: Well, we we so appreciate your time and wisdom. Thank and you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. That's great. Absolutely. Great to meet you guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back. And as always, we've got some great lessons here. So um, I mentioned this earlier, but he built the thing himself and he sold it on eBay. Guess what you do? You test it. You see if it works. You know, three possible scenarios. One one scenario is you build these things and they sell for a bunch and people love them and you know you have a business. The other thing is no one buys them, they don't understand them, they hate them, they think they're too expensive, whatever, and- You don't have a business. Or it's somewhere in the middle and you can tweak and play and whatever it is. But, you know, just test stuff. And I I think so often, you know, oh, we need to raise big money and we need to build these prototypes. No, build something yourself, sell it and see if anybody will actually buy it. We've had entrepreneurs on here um, that have made their own protein pancake mix and they tested it out with their friends. Does it taste good? Do you like it? Tweak this, change this. Like people, you know, you you think everyone on Shark Tank, oh, they millions of dollars and they raised all this money. Many of them sold something out of their garage or out of their trunk and people bought it and loved it or gave them some feedback on how to make it better. And then they had a business. It wasn't, oh, we're gonna spend all this money to create something that we don't even know if people will buy. So I love that. Um, Now he got a great tip from Barb, which was people don't mind waiting for your product if you tell them how long and you stick to it. So if you can't produce something, own it, share it. Hey, here's the issue really don't want you to cancel your order or really want you to still buy the product and they will actually do it. And I've done that as well. Now, he has less SKUs now than he had five years ago. Make your business simple. Everybody thinks, oh, we need more products, more products. How often do we start out here and we say, okay, well, let's just keep the five things that we actually sell and focus on them. So more SKUs is not always better. In fact, it's almost always worse. needing to create our own structure as entrepreneurs, you know, he's created a lifestyle that works for him and we all need to make sure we do that. Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting was the idea of being your own knockoff. So if you've got something, let's just say you've got something premium, it's super expensive, super high end, Uh, you're gonna sell it in Nordstrom, okay? And people start knocking you off or you worry about people knocking you off. Could you just create your own knockoff? different brand or same brand and cheaper, right? But you just say, okay, well, uh, I've got a great product. Why don't I just create a cheaper version? I'll never forget, uh, you know, when I was um, getting married, I was speaking to a videographer and she said, Hey, we have two different companies. We have one that costs, you know, $15,000 to film your wedding. And we have another that costs $2,000 or whatever the prices were which sounds better to you. And and, and you may go, well, why would you do that? You should always just be high-end and charge those big prices. Well, she probably got sick of losing a bunch of people that were like, look, I'm paying for my wedding myself. I can only afford a couple thousand dollars. So she just said, look, I'll just create two different versions and they can choose, but I'll keep every customer versus losing most of them or half of them. Or she was filming $2,000 weddings and some people were asking for things. And then she said, okay, well, why don't I just create a super high-end version? There's obviously people out there that have plenty of money, that'll spend $10,000, dollars 20000 for something that's great and premium and, and has all these other bells and whistles. So don't be afraid to be your own knockoff or don't be afraid to be your own you know premium product as well. So a lot of great lessons there. Really, really cool entrepreneur. Hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next week on an all new episode of Outside the Tank.